And so we go on Shark Tank, but we're like, um, the episode is, we knew we weren't going to get a deal because we were raising at like, I think a $6 million valuation, which was like 40X revenue, which yeah. is not the kind of thing you go on Shark Tank with. Yeah. Right? You kind of have to go on there with like a cookie that your grandmother made. And, um, <laughs> it has like a really like deep story <laughs> at 2X revenue maybe. Um, and so for us, they kind of told us pretty, that it's unlikely. So we just needed to make the episode so airable that they would have to air it anyways. And so we, I got a pool there on set. I hired this guy, Jesse, who was like America's most famous extra. And I thought that'd be funny. Um, <laughs> and so we just had to make it such an entertaining episode that no matter how badly it went, they would have to air it. Yeah. And we were fairly confident after the filming that it was gonna air. And then COVID hits, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They tell us it's gonna hit March. They tell, congratulations, it's gonna, you guys are gonna air because they only air, I think like a fourth of the episodes or something like that. We're gonna air in March of 2020. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Sponstaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at Sponstaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Buzicruz. Enjoy the show. In just a moment, you'll meet Bunham Laskin, founder and CEO of Swimply, the Airbnb for pools. Bunham grew up in Israel and moved to the States with his family when he was just 15 years old. He is the oldest of 12 children, and the idea for Swimply came to him when he was looking for a way to entertain his younger siblings in the heat of a New Jersey summer. His next door neighbor had a pool that she didn't use much, and Bunham asked her if his family could use the pool when she wasn't using it, if they agreed to pay 25% of the pool's annual costs. And to his surprise, she agreed. Tune in to hear the remarkable story of how Bunham raised his first million dollars, how he wound up pitching Swimply on Shark Tank, how he and his team navigated the crazy ups and downs of COVID, and what the next 12 months for the company will look like. Hint, it may or may not include being able to book more than just pools on Swimply. All right, folks, without further ado, get ready to meet Bunham. All right, Bunham, we are live, dude. How are you doing on this fine day? Phenomenal. Beautiful Monday morning. It looks beautiful uh, over there. It's freaking hot and humid here in D.C., but uh, you are in Los Angeles, so I don't know. What, what's the temp there right now? Um, I think right now it's kind of binary for us uh, people in Los Angeles. It's either sunny or it's not sunny. <laughs> Um, so it's been, it's been a rough year for us. Uh, I think we had more rain than Seattle this year. That's right. uh, Which I've been taking more personally than most, as you can imagine, (laughs) Uh, but it's been a beautiful last two weeks. It's sunny. I think it's around 80 degrees. Um, definitely a reason to be in a good mood. I love it, dude. I love it. Um, well, I am pumped to finally get you on the show. Uh, you've been all over the place doing lots of things. So thanks for making a little bit of time to chat. But I, um, I wanted to get you on the uh, on the podcast for a couple of reasons. One, your company Swimply is a, a company that I think many of the, our listeners are already familiar with. And if they aren't, they should be. You guys are probably sick and tired of being positioned as sort of like the Airbnb for pools. But that's kind of the easiest way, I guess, of describing uh, who you guys are and what you do. But 
I, I want to give you the opportunity to just take us back to the beginning. Like, where does the story of Swimply in your mind really begin? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, I mean, we go all the way back to, this goes back to 2018. My mother had her 12th kid. Her 12th uh, kid. Yeah. So wow. I was, uh, yeah, nine younger sisters, two younger brothers. I was the oldest. Wow. I'm the oldest, I should say. And um, we just never really had the means to travel or go to camp. Don't really come from a family of much. So when summer came around, that never was a time that we were really looking forward to. Because then at least during the day, we're out of the house. But in the summer, we kind of knew that our we were, our destiny would be mostly indoors. Wow. Uh, with uh, 14 of us in a five-bedroom house. And so um, when my mother had her 12th child... Um, it was kind of like our breaking point. And I would say that I was just trying to brainstorm ways for the family to essentially um, just like, I guess, love summer a little bit more. Yeah. Our neighbor built a pool the year earlier. She figured if she let us use it once, we would live in her backyard. <laughs> and uh, she wasn't wrong. All 12 of us being next door, if we had access to that thing, I don't think we would have um, let it rest. And so she kind of, she gatekeeped, she gatekeeped heavy. And, uh, but the following year with the new kid, I went over to her and I said, Hey, this pool can't be cheap to run. It's always empty. Um, what if I at least just help you out with your expenses in exchange, my family uses it whenever your grandkids are not over and which huh. is who she built the pool for. And her grandkids didn't come over as much as she thought they would. And uh, so she loved the idea. Um, and we agreed to pay 25% of her expenses, whatever the bill was. Um, and then once people noticed that the most call it, um, electric family of the block was being accommodated by the gatekeeper, <laughs> everyone was intrigued and approached her and she shared our hack with them. And within two weeks, she had, um, a total of six families using her pool wow. and we were all paying her 25%. And that was kind of my, when she made a WhatsApp chat and added all the families and then just posted the bill and everyone just said, sent, paid, done on my end. That was like kind of the Eureka moment for me. It was just extremely seamless. Everyone mm -hmm. was pumped about it. Everyone knew she was not just covering her expenses. She was at this point also making um, uh, an additional income there. Yeah. And we had access to this $100,000 backyard. And so it kind of just changed the whole dynamic for the that neighborhood, this strip. Yeah. Of like, um, and I, uh, what's it called? Needed to figure out a way how I'm going to keep paying our 25%. And so... Um, of our side. So I'm like, Hey, what if I just like bring this hack to other neighborhoods? This can't, this gotta be relevant elsewhere. And so I went to Google earth, found 80 swimming pools on there, started knocking on doors, got four people out of those 80 to agree, uh, for me to, uh, try to share their pool when they're not using it and yeah. keep a connection, put my phone number around town, um, recruited my younger siblings to helping putting up flyers. And then people would call me on my phone. I'd call the owner see if they have a spot available. I'd call you back, confirm. You would do a little celebration on your end. Um, and then I would charge you on Square and deliver checks in person uh, biweekly. Uh, needless to say, the experience was addicting. Wow. And so I decided to uh, uh, drop out and just pursue this full time. Okay, 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 forward. okay. Dude, so much, so much there. Wow, talk about sort of like coming on strong with your story, which is uh, exactly what I what I love to hear. First and foremost, so twelve, so so there are twelve of you in your family. I so I actually I'm the oldest of six, uh, and that was crazy. Like growing up, right? So I can't imagine I can't imagine twelve, dude. That was uh, that that must you know be loads of fun, loads of like you know uh, uh, challenging moments, but also hopefully some some 
incredible moments as well. I, I'm a big fan of, of, of large families. Did you guys grow up in Los Angeles? Like, was was this in LA or, or where were you growing up? No, no, no. We, um, I'm not, I moved to LA two years ago because um, LA is our biggest market, but um, I grew up in Israel. Okay. Actually, in Jerusalem. And wow. then uh, my entire family moved to New Jersey, actually, a city called Lakewood. Okay. Um, the reason why we moved back was to all my uncles and cousins and grandparents who were in the United States. We were like the one branch of the family. Yeah. That was Israel. My family wanted us to get to know other people, our cousins and whatnot. And so we moved to Lakewood, New Jersey, where they were highly concentrated. Um, and, and how so old were you then at the time? We moved when I was like 15. Okay. I think at that point, there was only eight of us. Wow. Wow. Dude, I mean, that, that must have been like a huge... <clears throat> excuse me, like a huge culture shock, right? Like moving from Israel to, to Jersey, was it, was it kind of, like, was the States like in particularly that part of the country, was it kind of what you thought it would be or was it like vastly different? Well, my parents were American. So even though I was born there, um, and I, we definitely came to, we came to visit America a bunch. Okay. So you so had a taste for what you were getting into. We had a flavor, yeah. I would say. <laughs> yeah. I'd say the biggest culture shock was particularly the city that we moved into um, so I'm, I'm an Orthodox Jew okay. and there's a lot of different flavors, to how Orthodox you can really be and how you kind of go about your philosophical approach to marrying religion and being alive. Okay. I would imagine. Being alive. Um, where I was in Israel, I would say they were much more relaxed, yeah. more open-minded, uh, very, uh, in the, where we moved to in Lakewood, I would say it was pretty, pretty intense, very black and white. Huh approaches and so my entire family really had to navigate that like i'm, I'm talking about like if you had wi-fi in your house wow wow um, you couldn't get your kids into the schools there wow. and so you needed to literally like not if you're going to have wi-fi you have to prove that your parents needed it for work and you needed like six different levels of security um so the kids can't reach that and wow. so literally to the point that even though i was older when i was like 22 when i started this company um we, I literally had to like hack getting like a smartphone with data to even do this thing and and figure out what Square was and um, and all that fancy stuff and getting on Google Earth, which my friend told me about, and like go to his house where they have a computer. Wow! So it was a lot of extra um, minor challenges, and that probably where most of the culture shock came came from as well. Do you do you think now, like as an entrepreneur leading this leading this company, that being you know, being raised in the way that you were uh, with maybe limited access to, to internet, at least for a season of life, did that help you like be more, be more creative? And like, do, do you, do you feel, do you think that you use your time better because you weren't exposed to things as, you know, such a, at such a young age or, or how do you, how do you reflect on that time? I think it's a good question. It's a great question. Um, I think that there are definitely pros and cons to the way I was brought up to, eventually assist me with my entrepreneurial journey, if you would say. I'd say the cons are probably pretty obvious, right? Obviously, nobody where I come from is in tech. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're either studying to become rabbis, and if they're rebellious enough, they're going into real estate. Yeah. <laughs> um, or something really traditional. They're not, and their they're college really isn't in the question. Okay. Most people do not go to college. I'd say 95% do not go to college. Wow. Um, the 5% that do are like categorized as people who went to college. Um, that book don't identity now. Um, and so I would say that the, the, yeah, so definitely obviously the lack of, I think access to mentorship or even the opportunity and whatnot, uh, is definitely probably the con. The pro is, is that 
you know even less than everyone else, hmm. which is actually really helpful when you're starting a company, right? The more you know, like the, the about starting a company, and the more you know about like what you're signing up for, um, probably the more daunting it is. For me, yeah. this was like just exhilarating and electric from day one. You didn't know uh, what the just, you like didn't know what the rules were, right? So like you couldn't yeah, follow yeah. any rules because you didn't know the rules. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. So you're really just like quote unquote flying blind. Um, but it's like kind of, it, it, you don't have to overcome any of those like emotional barriers to going into this. Cause it's yeah. like every step of it is just brand new and fresh. Um, you don't have, you, ha you haven't heard any war stories. You haven't heard about all the people that have failed before you and whatnot. You learn very fast though. <laughs> you, definitely, <laughs> you, definitely, you definitely get introduced to it really quickly, but at least that first plunge, no pun intended is, is easy. Um, and then also I would say the fact that like at the end of the day, um, when there's a lack of like other safe options, yeah. right? Like the, it was pretty much for me, it was like, am I going to be a rabbi or am I going to like do something? Like I couldn't, I had no idea what I was going to do. Yeah. And for me, I was relieved that I found something that I love doing, right? Because mm -hmm. I didn't think I was going to be a rabbi. I loved to study the Talmud, but I did not think that was going to be my path. And when it came to an actual job, I didn't, I was, I think most of my life terrified about like what, I, I don't see anything out there in the world that I love to do. Yeah. And so I was doing this and it just f flew through my veins. The amount of moments that we were, that I felt like I was responsible for. Yeah. Um, which I always had growing up because I have 11 younger siblings and I always had like, when you have 11 younger siblings, there's really like three parents, right? Like or even more, the older siblings are like, do take some serious responsibility with the younger ones. And so you're chief entertainment officer, like at scale. <laughs> Um, it was just, yeah, it was awesome. So I would say that like the pro for me, I think outweigh the cons. Cause I mm. think m my personality in the more, um, informed environment may have opted in for, um, maybe would not have opted in for something this wild. Yeah. Potentially. Do you, do you hold any like resentment towards your like parents for how you were raised? Like I always, I always like to talk to people, like when I find out that people have had, let's just call them non-traditional it's it, it, i don't even like the word non-traditional because it's like in some context it's very traditional right um it really just mad it's really just about like where you grow up but do you do you feel any like bitterness or are you like uh, do you are you thankful for how you grew up like how do you reflect on how you were raised definitely not my parents my parents are also i mean I, again i grew up in israel it's a little bit more chilled out yeah. Right. Yeah. So a lot of the whole Wi-Fi strictness and all the, um, a lot of those like extra rule, those religious rules, I would Came say, later. I was until I was like tenth grade, probably. Okay. But most of my siblings were raised more in that environment. Definitely my parents. Um, I not really. I intellectually get it. Yeah. Why they have, why they do what they do, and why they have those walls up. Yeah. Um, it's no reason. I just don't know if it's for me per se. And yeah. uh, I think that you do have, you clearly do have the liberty and freedom to step out of that. Yeah. If you want to. Yeah. Um, hence, I did. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't think there's any like resentment at all whatsoever. And when I did it, everybody was like extremely pumped about it. And so um, I think the, the, I think the opposite thing was, it was kind of perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, dude. That is, that's remarkable. So, Tyann, you own and operate 20 vacation rentals under two different brands in Missouri. Yes. Yes, I do. And you're the queen of guest experience at Touch Day, which is the leading digital guest guidebook technology worldwide. 
Yes, I sure am. And you're trusted by thousands of other short-term mental hosts across the world who listen to your podcast, follow you on social media, and attend your presentations at industry events. Is this correct? It is, and I am honored to be trusted in the industry, yes. So chances are, Tyann, that you you know a thing or two about the different property management software providers in this space. I do, and I love meeting the teams everywhere, um, and I, I know a lot about them, and I'm also very curious and ask questions to learn more because the space is always changing. Yeah, yeah, so I, I am so glad to hear that, and the reason I wanted to have this quick chat with you is because I know that you use Onores for your property management software, and I wanna hear a little bit about why you chose Onores and, and why you love Onores over you know the many other options that are available on the market. So we know there's lots of options, but I had to narrow it down to what my top priorities are. So the first one is I've got to have the communications prowess. I am all about communications. I think that is a key factor to reviews and therefore to better revenue serve. And okay. Just do that again, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Ask me the last question again. Yeah. So there are so many great options in the space, but I want to know why you chose and, and ultimately why you love Onores over over some of the others. Can you could you give us just a couple of reasons why? Yeah, so I look at all the softwares and they all have really great capabilities, but I needed to narrow it down to what I value the most and what software matched up to that. So the first one is the communications prowess. I am all about communications. It is highly important to me and it has a great effect upon my reviews and therefore my revenue. The second one is excellent customer service. And I have this little trick that I do when I'm searching for uh, for software is that I'll send a customer service request in and see how fast they respond, how well they respond, and if I understand their response as well, because I've got to be able to understand when there's a problem. And then the third one is comprehensive capabilities. It has to be powerful to do what I need it to do. And I'm gonna add a fourth one. I need constancy and dependability because I'm running some businesses here and I've got a lot of things going on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? No one has time for software that doesn't work in the way that you expect it to. Diane, who do you think Onores is the best fit for? Like what kind of host or, or property manager do you think align best with the core product offering at Onores? So a lot of folks immediately think how many properties they have, and then they start narrowing it down to what softwares they should look at. But instead, I want you to think a little bit differently. Look at what you value. So Onores is really excellent for host and property managers who value a software that does what it says it does. Hmm. They don't overpromise, underdeliver. They underpromise and overdeliver is what they really do. Um, Onores is also a product that listens to their users and is nimble to adjust on the key needs of its users. So we're throwing out all kinds of things we want, and they're really good at focusing to the key needs and doing what their users are wanting. Um, and lastly, it is for users who want and need a powerful engine to run their hospitality business. I love it. And so you were using another PMS before Onores. Was Onores the first PMS you used? Uh, how, how hard was it to either move from your old PMS or, or get set up with Onores? So I'm one of those people who's been in this industry a long time. And the first decade was pen and paper and little pocket calendar books. <laughs> and then after, 
after my very first double booking, uh, one and only because that is something we all go through at some point or the other, uh, I started searching for some software. I used one. Um, I wasn't too thrilled with the because it was not communications friendly. It was hmm. not dependable. It didn't work. Uh, so I went searching again, and that's when I found Owner Res. That was five years ago. So I've been with them quite a while. And then at that time, it was a simple export import exercise with a spreadsheet. And the most difficult part was the actual the core setup of my account. Hmm. Um, there's definitely a learning curve to it. But that said, it's also a very logical setup that if you take it step by step, you can finish it. Just keep in mind that it's not this super flashy, simple thing because the system is so powerful. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I think that that's a really honest review. And from everything I've seen of the actual product, it does seem incredibly logical. For for our listeners, we've partnered with Onarez to give new customers a 30% discount on their first three months. So when you talk to the team there, just mentioned behind the stays, if you just go through the checkout process, you can use the discount code BTS30 to get 30% off. But again, you can also just talk to a team member there, say that you heard about them on behind the stays and they will honor this discount. Tyan, any final words of encouragement as to why listeners should go and, and give Onarez a, a closer look? Owner Res is a solid product. It's built by host and property managers themselves, and they understand our needs, working diligently to solve them with continuous updates to the software. I mean, I seriously could not run both my brands with 20 properties and growing with a very small human team, while also giving my time to the industry as a whole as Touch Day's queen of guest experience and sharing my knowledge at conferences and events worldwide without Owner Res. Well, folks, don't take it from me. Take it from one of the industry's most influential voices and just go and give Onarez a closer look. Even if you're not in the market right now, you might be in the market later, just go check them out. And you know, if and when you are ready to sign up, be sure to mention behind the stays or use the discount code BTS30 at checkout to get 30% off of your first three months. Tayan, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for your time. All right, thanks, Zach. So, okay, so you convince your neighbors, uh, a collection of a few folks to let you essentially sell time at their pool. At what point do you realize, whoa, this is like, there's a real business opportunity here. Like when, when did that first thought creep up? For me, to be honest, it's again, naive, but I think if I would have known the rules, I probably would have waited a little bit longer to celebrate. Um, <laughs> like for me, that WhatsApp chat was already like, uh, the, the like for me, the rest of this was inevitable. Huh. Um, like it, it was just, once it happened, it seemed so obvious that it, this should be. Yeah. Um, well, this space is just going extremely underutilized. And it's one thing when you have an underutilized, like, I don't know, office space or underutilized garage space. Cause like you're thinking, okay, the alternative is somebody's working in that room or the alternative, there's some stuff being stored in this garage, but over yeah. the year, the alternative to these underutilized pools are people like making moments and like having fun hmm. and like actually like living and not just existing. Yeah. And so like that alternative needed to happen uh, for financial reasons, for sure, but also just like from a, just a pure reality perspective, like how is this space just being dark and segmenting versus like collectively um, like just providing value? Yeah. And so, and, I, and ironically pools, I didn't even know this when I started, if you look into the history of pools, they really are segregators more than they bring people together, like historically, huh. right? From wealthy communities kind of separating from uh, non-wealthy communities to even like it has a, an unfortunate dark history and racism. Really? Right? Where a lot of people began once, once, you know, people of color were allowed into more public areas, people started building their own 
private pool. So, and there were, if you read this up, this is like a dark history regarding general luxury ownership, but definitely when it comes to pools, like they have a dark history of actually keeping us apart. Huh. Um, and so one of the magnificent things is like how much we're actually merging communities and opening up doors and welcoming people in. And so there's like a really beautiful, it was even more, it was even more beautiful after the fact that once I learned the history. Yeah. Um, so for me, once, I, once that WhatsApp chat was created and like this pool that was just sitting there was creating joy for the whole block and the owner was just making an income. Um, for me, this like had to happen. And so yeah. when the phone calls came in, there was not a shock. And when I was getting overwhelmed with phone calls, it wasn't shot for me. It was, it was a matter of time. I don't think I, what I think we may be getting at though, is that like, for me, this was obviously going to be something that I did yeah. and would definitely make me some money. I don't think I had visions of building a massive company out of this. For me, my vision was this needs to happen here and I'm like, Hey, it's happening here. Now it needs to happen everywhere. Yeah. Um, and the way that materialized was starting like a big company. But I would say that the starting a company part came after me just wanting this to happen. Yeah. Everywhere. I mean, it, what's really cool about, about the story is, you know, it started I mean, as, as many great businesses do with, with a problem that you experienced. Right. But I think one of, one of the things that's interesting that doesn't always happen, right. Is that you realize pretty quickly that, oh my gosh, this is this is something that I really really want to do. I don't. You didn't even necessarily. You, you probably like if, if someone at the time had approached you and said, "Hey, are you going to go raise money?" Maybe you probably wouldn't have even known like what that really meant, right? I'm projecting, but yeah, exactly, right? And and so and and yet like it's it, it was this pure sort of like hunger to to essentially. I don't know if it was make a quick buck, but but essentially figure out, okay, hey, this is working. If I can do some quick mental math in my head, if I just do this four, five, six, seven, eight, you know, 12 times, hey, I, I could have a meaningful job here, right? And, and and maybe you first think about it as like, this is to get me a job. And then and then at some point, it, that probably transitions to, wait a second, this is so much more than just a job for me. I would actually say, I mean, it's close. I see that actually the line was that literally uh, for me, it was like, okay, I was doing this on my phone yeah, and, and I wanted to do, like bring this everywhere. Yeah. And so I had to learn about how the heck would I bring this everywhere? Do I have to like get a million people to answer phones? Like what the yeah. heck do I do here? And that's when obviously I got into tech and needing to scale this. And that's when I needed money because I'm going to build an app. I need to build tech. So then you learn about raising money. And so most of it actually happened after the fact. For me, it was wow. just about how do I make this everywhere? Okay, in order to do this everywhere, I need to raise money. If I need to raise money, that means I need to start a company. If I need to start a company, because uh, if I want to build a website, I'm going to need investors. I'm yeah. going to have to own a piece in something. And so the whole almost reverse engineered itself in, into a company. Wow. Um, vice versa. Very, and very. At it, so. Yeah. Yeah. So if my my little uh, googling about you serves me correctly. You made an appearance on on Shark Tank, right? Is is that is that where where Swimply star like took off and, and became famous, quote unquote? Like, what's the story there? Yeah, so I would say it's it's hard to tell. It's actually a crazy story, Shark Tank, because we. So I dropped. So uh, uh, twenty eighteen happens. Yeah. And I do it on my phone. I'm studying in Israel at, at this time. Even though my family lives in America, I'm back there during the year. Okay. Studying Israel. I decided not to go back, so I drop out. Um, I start learning about everything that I need to do to like build a website, UI, UX. Just bury myself in that. Bury myself into like how to raise money, how do I get in front of people, how do I pitch myself. 
a lot of my early rejections were actually people who helped me craft how to not suck at this the next the next person I pitch. Wow. And so creating from creating a deck to what I should start with to what would excite people to you mentioned earlier, like, hey, if I do this at six, seven, eight cities, this can be really cool. I only did started making that mental math about how much money you can make once I was pitching investors. And they're like, you're gonna have to talk about the money if you're gonna want to get invested. <laughs> it's great that you're passionate about this, but like we're get, you're gonna have to like show us some figures about what this could be. And so putting on the business brain even happened while I was pitching, Wow, uh, I would say. And so we actually, I, I get much success because people couldn't believe it was happening because it was just so new. And then, but we had obviously the square data kind of thing it was with my dashboard pretty much. Yeah. On my phone. And so people were definitely extremely intrigued, intrigued that this was happening by somebody from my kind of background that wouldn't necessarily um, have lended itself to where, what I was doing. Yeah. And so um, I did pitch, I think, around like 60 to 70 people at first. Um, wow. But once I got my first yes for like a quarter million bucks, I ended up raising a million. And then Shark Tank actually reached out to us um, because pretty much we got, funny enough, as small as it was, we got some bad press. You got some bad um, press. Yeah. Our first press actually was, was not delicious. Okay. Um, so I raised a million bucks. I start building the website. The website goes live around June of 2019. Okay. Um, and we start taking off pretty quickly and very fast. We get some negative press, um, in a city in New York about how this is like not regulated and how this, and that actually helped us grow even more. <laughs> that really, the whole term, no such thing as bad press, all press is good press was really like something that we leaned into because we were terrified and then the numbers were only going up because of it. And nobody like pretty much, it didn't really put a dent in anyone's mindset about the business. And yeah. so we did get press and that press ended up leading to somebody in Shark Tank finding out about us. And then they uh, reached out to us to apply and so we pitched them at the end of the summer of 2019. It's our first summer as a company called Smoothly. Okay. Um, we did, I did around like $40,000 in bookings when I did on my phone. This year we did like 200K. Okay. Still very freaking early. Um, and then uh, we filmed Shark Tank. We get obliterated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at this point, I, I've already been obliterated by like 60 other investors. So you're like, raised, who cares? Yeah, like like this yeah, is just another raised day. A million bucks. Yeah, so I, raised, I already raised a million bucks. We were capitalized and I already I already got obliterated by a bunch of folk. And so we go on Shark Tank, but we're like, um, the episode is, we knew we weren't going to get a deal because we were raising at like, I think a $6 million valuation, which was like 40X revenue, which yeah. is not the kind of thing you go on Shark Tank with. Yeah. Right? You kind of have to go on there with like a cookie that your grandmother made and um it has like a really like deep story at um, 2x revenue maybe um and so for us they kind of told us pretty that it's unlikely so we just needed to make the episode so airable that they would have to air it anyways and so we i got a pool there on set i hired this guy jesse who was like america's most famous extra and i thought that'd be funny um and so we just had to make it such an entertaining episode that no matter how badly it went they would have to air it yeah. and we were fairly confident after the filming that it was going to air and then COVID hits, mm. right? They mm. tell us it's going to hit March. They tell us, congratulations, it's gonna, you guys are going to air because they only air, I think, like a fourth of episodes or something like that. You're going to air in March of 2020. And we're looking forward for that day. We're getting our systems ready. The web, Make sure the website doesn't crash, blah, blah, blah. Like everyone's all pumped up. I think at this point we're like five people. Um, and then COVID hits on March 13th of, 29, of 2020 to tell everyone the lockdown orders go into effect that Jeez. night 
we air on Shark Tank. Oh, dude. Uh, yeah, oh. so that was, that was a crazy experience, emotional roller coaster if you ever heard one. Oh. And so the, the, the website was fine because there were zero bookings done for around uh, the next three weeks. Um, <laughs> tragically, our five-person team became a two-person team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because people just didn't see, like the world was kind of ending. Nobody was leaving their doors and our business model didn't seem like it was going to be something that would endure this. Yep. Um, but the funny thing was it actually did our supply, the amount of pools that we had at that point. We had like, we went from like 180 pools to close to 400. Wow. Now obviously none of them are being booked, but they're just there. They're there. Yeah. They're there. Um, and it's wild to think that owners were still listing their pools throughout this whole thing. Yeah. And something magical kind of happened around like three weeks to a month later where people had to get out of their house. Hmm. Our owners started taking all their creativity in their own hands. They started remarketing their pools as like COVID friendly. Yeah. So quarantine paradise, COVID-19 escape. Like people were just marketing um, contact free experience with those you're quarantining with. And so our owners started marketing themselves as the perfect vacation on COVID because it's contact free. The CDC said that pools like the chemicals in your natural pool will eliminate any sort of remnants of the virus. And so people and people needed to leave their house and wow. owners needed it. And so when we were perfectly situated, people were leaving their house, owners made income, and we did more revenue a month later than we did in the entire business wow. um, history. And so Shark Tank, the Shark Tank cause it, not cause it. It's weird to know because on one hand, like dynamically, we were the perfect company for that time period. Yeah. Yeah, was Shark Tank did help us with the supply, um, and whatnot, and so it definitely, it definitely was a, a good boost for us. Like we got the supply ready, and then a month later, when the demand came, like we were, we were pretty prepared, and so that yeah, that was a wild, wild time. Dude, that is a that is just a remarkable story. Like there's nothing short of like it just being a fantastic story. Wow, ah, this is this is great. Okay, so so that happens. And then at, at what point in time, so so had you still only at this juncture, you'd, you'd only raised a million dollars. Is that correct? Um, we've only raised a million dollars, correct. Okay, okay. And so at what point then do you, you start seeing sort of demand coming? You, people are booking, it's COVID, they want to get out of their house, it's summer, right? Like I, I remember this, in some ways it feels like years and years and years ago, in other ways it feels like yesterday, but there was this kind of like moment where being outside kind of felt like you were like, cheating somehow or like you you were you were like winning on life like you you've you, like there was this moment where i remember all of my friends and whatnot being like okay can we like go to like the lake could we go to like we, everyone was trying to figure out how to spend as much time as they could outside so that they could feel a little a little normal right you guys offered this great solution for that so so at what point in time do you realize oh my gosh we have to like double down on this like we need to we need to grow from a team of two to a team of however many like at what point did you have enough signal that you really needed to figure out how to how to grow the business? Yeah, good question. So bef something I missed was before that Shark Tank episode, we aired, we, we finished summer 2019. Yep. We left our numbers. We went, I, I flew to San Francisco to try to raise a venture round. Okay. Uh, like million from VCs. Um, and then part of it was also, hey, we're also going to air on Shark Tank. Well, a little bit of a, Call it a sex appeal. Yeah. Uh, we were not welcomed with open arms um, in the Valley. And so we went through around like another 30 rejections over there. Um, wow. And we ultimately gave, I ultimately 
said, Hey, I have enough money to bring another summer. I'll make this more undeniable. I'll, I'll grow this even more places. Shark Tank will air, will skyrocket. I'll make this more inevitable for them so they can see what I see. Um, and so we, I just went back to the drawing board with this. And then um, but we we did try to raise, was not, we're not successful. Went back to the drawing board. The Shark Tank situation happens. Uh, we grow like 40X wow. like next year. And then a lot of those folks that we pitched came back to us um, and pretty much said, hey, like we're ready. What are, what are you guys looking like right now? Because I can imagine like uh, we're also getting a tremendous amount of press. Yeah, I bet. Wow. So the fact that we were growing and I was very vocal about it too. So I was pretty much subconsciously pitching um, every time I did an interview, um, whoever, whoever's out there and listening. Um, and then we started getting inbound term sheets um, after that summer. Um, and eventually, yeah, we, for, for me, this was always about speed. How can I bring this as many people as fast as possible? And so what's the least I can give away Yeah. Um, for the most amount of money? And we ended up raising like a $10 million seed round um, uh, in, this was, I think, November of 20, uh, sorry, this was January of 2021. Okay. And then we, everything here was like essentially reverse engineered. We we got, we ended up at 10 million because we just started getting different term sheets and everyone getting us better offers. Um, definitely learned a lot about how important it is to choose a partner in that process. Hmm. Hmm. At all, um, I was uh, I was just exposed to so many different kind of partners, and you realize that like how different your relationship is going to be based on the partner that you choose, not just a firm. Um, and then so we actually didn't go with the best term sheet that we could have gotten. Okay, but uh, there was a partner that I think met that was the perfect balance of like met my values and had a pretty good deal. And so we ended up raising that ten million. And for me, this was more like mission focused. So like my first pre-seed check was to show that people would do this yeah. and it can scale. Like, I don't know, you don't need a person to touch every booking. The goal of the seed round for me was to put out every fire in this business model. Hmm. And so there was liability concerns. There were restroom uh, concerns. There were some stuff on zoning that we really needed to figure out. And so for me, the whole 10 million, the first 10 million round was really just investing and and plugging in the gaps, yeah. the intellectual gaps in this business model. Um, and so that's kind of what we set out to do, trying to figure out what are my first hires that I need to make on a significant level. The company is two people, by the way, when I raised this 10 million, because three quit. Yeah. And so and now I'm doing the customer, our customer service is absolutely terrible. You can imagine it's two people <laughs> that this grew the way it was. And so we built out a team, hired, f- figured out who to essentially brought in a lot of good mentors, uh, the CEO of Poshmark. Oh, actually, wow. I came on as an investor and became a really close mentor of mine. So helped me navigate a lot of the marketplace dynamics and the customer service elements um, of it all. And uh, yeah, I just really got to work turning this into a real business ultimately. Wow. Wow. Dude, that's, uh, that is, that's incredible. Hey guys, it's Zach. If you're enjoying this episode, could you do me two very quick favors? First, this show is possible thanks to a handful of incredible organizations who've signed on to be advertising partners of Behind the Stays. It would mean the world to me if you'd take just a second to scroll down to the show notes and go learn more about this episode's sponsor. Even if you aren't in the market for agency support or a new PMS at the moment, it never hurts to be aware of who else is out there. And second, if you're listening to this episode on Spotify, could you be so kind as to give Behind the Stays a five-star rating? And if you're on Apple Podcasts, could you submit a quick review and let me know what you love most about the show? I know it seems trivial, but these things really, really do help us grow the show. 
And just a reminder that if you've ever got feedback from me on how to make the show better, shoot me an email directly at Zach, that's Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com. You all really are the best. I love receiving your emails and DMs. All right, so check out the sponsor and leave us a rating and a review, please. All right, guys, back to the show. At this juncture, right? Are you when you're pitching, folks? Are you are you like positioning your guys' selves as the Airbnb for pools? Like, to, on the one hand, right, given the fact that the sharing economy had what was not new by any means, right? And all, and you know, venture capitalists had seen the Ubers and the Airbnbs, right, uh, uh, come through. You, you would have think you would have thought uh, that this was sort of like a, a no brainer investment. What what do you think was like the holdup for some folks? Just, was it was it really wrapped around liability because like again sharing economy was was so well known by this point yeah i think i mean there, there were three key things so first of all the, the airbnb for pools like the, our pitch even in uh the first time i tried to fundraise after 2019 was every passion needs a space and so what we're doing right now with pools we'll eventually not just do it with pool with every pool everywhere we'll do this with everything that brings people joy again our, our focus is always we're never going to go into just underutilized space. We wanted a space that like creates something yeah. for you. Interesting. Um, yeah. So for us, it was every passion needs a space, and that was referring to music, art, sports, um, tennis, basketball, music, even home gyms. Like we wanted to expand into, and we still plan to um, expand into everything. With pools being our first like foray uh, into it for two reasons: one, uh, we can find them on Google Earth, and two, there were like so many different use cases. So like yeah. a tennis court only services tennis players yeah but a pool looks one way to eyes of a mom of three it looks in the other way and the eyes of someone in their mid-20s or 30s trying to throw a birthday party yeah for their friends it looks one way for people that are trying to swim for health before work and so it had so many different use cases that we saw the opportunity just being tremendous there and once we crafted that we would start expanding into other verticals so that that's how our pitch was so we actually tried not to use airbnb for pools even though it was fast yeah and quick because it was kind of limiting the vision ultimately. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you couldn't really say Airbnb for fun places or creative spaces. <laughs> um, so we we started all of our pitches with every passion needs a space. Is that true? Okay, so like only the top one percent actually get that space where they get to be there on demand with the people that they love. Um, what if we can take that and democratize the, yeah. that experience for everybody? And that that was kind of like uh, our pitch was was a quick story ultimately. Yeah. Um, so that was our positioning. As far as why investors were not so keen on it, there were two concerns. One, first of all, yes, liability. And even with Airbnb out there, people couldn't wrap their and the obviously pools on Airbnb if you're booking a vacation home. Yeah, people couldn't wrap their hands around like putting people in other people's pools. Right, sounds like a recipe for disaster. And so li- liability was an issue. I think an even bigger issue that we faced was a lot of the investors we were pitching were pretty well off, hmm. and they did not see this ever solving a problem for themselves. Hmm. They, they have a, if they have a pool, they wouldn't rent it out. Um, they can relate to re- renting it out, and if they didn't have a pool, um, they probably wouldn't. They wouldn't go to a strangers' one. And so a lot of the yeah. investors they pitched, and mind you, this is before this is even normal. Yeah. Right? So like more normal, maybe they'll do it, but a rich dude is generally not going to do some. Is not an early adopter, generally speaking. <laughs> and so a lot of people just didn't really feel a lot just by the dynamic of someone being an investor versus not. They um, didn't really connect. Uh, to the idea, uh, to the problem I was solving. Yeah. Um, I wasn't solving their problem. That wasn't the goal either. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that, yeah. That, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it's like a really, a really keen observation, right? Is 
you're pitching a bunch of people who will probably never use Swimply, right? Um, so yeah, that that's uh that that's super interesting. I, I'm curious. You guys have recently. I've seen some some press around this. You guys are you guys are expanding beyond pools, right? So you you've got I think tennis courts, you've got uh, pickleball courts that are coming or coming soon or they're here right now. So talk to us a little bit about how you're seeing the company grow and evolve, and then also like what does that what does that mean for the name Swimply? Oof, too soon, bro. Too soon. <laughs> um, so we raised a ten million. We plug in the holes. We, a year later, we raised another um, thirty million dollars. Um, one of the founders of Airbnb also invested in that route and also became a close mentor and helped us navigate a lot of the more adult issues that we were now going to face. Um, and so, and the goal of that series A for us, which we're still in the middle of, was really like, we never asked really too many questions. Hmm. Up until this point, we were really reactive. Like yeah. what's broken, we got to fix it. Where, where is there a fire? We got to put it out. Um, we never really got proactive about like all these really sophisticated things people talk about when you think of marketplaces. Yeah. And so even defining what our success metrics look like, defining what our markets, what's, what's a market at Simply, what drives liquidity in both sides of the marketplace. Like these were, weren't even things we even bothered even looking into. And so at this point, everything that was going on was magic and mm-hmm. we needed to do it the science. And so pretty much spent since that round building up, obviously a data team and operations team getting down to the, almost neighborhood level to try to document almost experience that people were having. Like somebody just became a laboratory yeah. ultimately like thousands of people all over the country using the product. And I was trying to like create some pattern recognition um, across the business. And so we got a level of fidelity there that we were comfortable with. And we knew the moment we were, we were just going to try to apply that magic to other similar use cases. And so our first expansion is really things that are really close to Swimply. So they're outdoors, they're active. You put your phone away, you're your healthiest, yeah. socializing. So we went into, into pickleball and tennis. Obviously, pickleball is growing like crazy. And so we kind of had to. And then once we were going to pickleball, tennis was obviously like an easy um, sister market uh, for us to go uh, into. So we launched that um, on June 15th, actually. So we're only, I think, as of this recording, as of this a chat, uh, like a month into it. Yeah. And why not? We have around like 400 courts right now throughout the country. Wow. Um, really almost similar. What we liked so much about pickleball also was that what was cool about pools that senior citizens were using us and like kids were using us. Yeah. Everybody can use us. And like pickleball had that same magic. Yeah. Right? It's actually started in the senior citizen community. Um, and so everybody can use it. Everyone can have fun doing it and you're active and you're outside and, uh, we're with all the apps right now, trying to keep you inside with the metaverse and TikTok. you know, I, I think any sort of investment that we can make to get people outside and together in person, um, it was something that we felt worth making. And so that's been growing quite aggressively. The cool thing about the sport category is obviously the repeat rate is much higher than it is in the pool category. Yeah. Um, uh, so people book anywhere between two and three swimpies a year. Um, on the pickleball category right now, people are booking like once a week. Yeah, interesting. So definitely cool dynamics. And the really cool thing that we're seeing right now is a lot of our owners are actually becoming guests. So pool owners who don't own pickleball courts are now. Um, so there's a lot of things that we can do there to make that even more seamless. Like when we pay you as an owner, just give you credits that you can then just apply and other cool stuff that we can invest in to make the ecosystem more intimate. Um, Have you guys ever... Yeah. Sorry, have you guys ever worked with? Um, so a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast are, 
you know, they, they've built really cool uh, short-term rental portfolios. Some of them are building really, really cool experiential like hospitality, like micro resorts. Have you guys ever partnered with folks who are in the short-term rental space to essentially design from like the ground up a build that incorporates key uh, swimply features, right? Like like pools, uh, like like pickleball courts, because I'm because th- one of the things I'm thinking about, right, is a lot of these folks that have like multiple units on one property, right, might actually be interested in or or have use cases, especially when there are, are vacancies for folks to come in in the community to come use the amenities that aren't currently being used by guests that have booked a, a night at their at their place. Have you guys done anything like that? Have you looked at strategic partnerships there or, or, or not quite yet? Uh, we definitely looked into it. We've entertained a bunch. Yeah, um, I think like all my initial growth ideas were partnership driven. Yeah, right? from pool companies that service thousands of pools, so vacation home rentals. Um, I think the struggle with having focused on it up until this point has been just bandwidth. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, um, and so even most of our growth to date is organic, and we just have to deal with it react and react to it. Um, so it's right. We've recently begun began like um, looking into those partnerships, especially when we saw a lot of pros joining yeah. the platform. Yeah. And so they rent out their really cool Airbnb spaces during the off season, during the week, right? Cause not a, a lot of these are tourist locations, which don't have tourists all year, but have people around all year um, and whatnot. And the cool thing about Swim Please, most of them are really spontaneous, right? You're generally booking either for that weekend and today, or like literally that day, yeah. or a third of the same day. And on Airbnb or, or any other home sharing platform, generally it's not that spontaneous. So generally weeks in advance. So it's easy to like manage a lot of those calendars. So it is definitely something that we're like deeply, lo- it's happening organically on the platform, something we're deeply looking to accelerate Yeah, right now. Dude, oh, that is, uh, that's so cool. What What do you think is like, like why, why hasn't Airbnb just like totally acquired you guys? Like, like what... Or, or why haven't you been acquired by a, another sort of like home sharing platform? Do you think that the businesses are just are, are very different? And that's why, like, do you, I mean, obviously you have a bias here, but like, how, how do you think through the reason why Airbnb doesn't have the opportunity to just book a pool or just book a, an experience already, given given sort of just the the supply that they do have of, you know, the world's best vacation homes? Yeah, I think the way we had to answer that question um, was why wouldn't Airbnb just compete with you? Yeah. So I think as far as an acquisition goes, I think like right now it's not on our, our horizon. Yeah. We're kind of out the business. And I think when I think there's a level of maturity that we want around um, how to run this business to perfection before those kind of conversations. As for why, I think when we were approached, when we were asked why Airbnb wouldn't just compete with us, right? I do think that there's fundamental technical problems with trying to balance both. Yeah. Um, and I think there are brand problems with trying to balance both. Uh, the technical problems, which are easy to understand, is simply hosts can welcome a thousand people a year, hmm. right? Several bookings in one day. Um, it's by the hour. It's very spontaneous. And the whole flow, like the way we had, like in the beginning, I actually just tried to imitate a lot of sharing platforms, assuming it'd be very similar um, a lot of the way a host, a host experience on Simply is profoundly different when you have like seven bookings a day yeah, um, versus one booking for a month um, and whatnot. So there's a couple of issues with the fact that you're, um, just from a technical perspective, it's very spontaneous. It's by the hour, just a lot in the same day. And so managing that as well as like a hotel is quite difficult. Yeah. Um, other front, I would say, is the fact that like if you're, if you're home away, Airbnb, VRBO, 
your users are travelers, right? Yeah. As a brand, you're trying to monetize the intent of your users. And so what else does this traveler want, right? He's going to stay somewhere. He needs to eat. He's got to do things. And so you're trying to like create a really travel experience for them. And then wear like um, something that you kind of like do, like a next door utility. Yeah. Almost. Right, where it's where it's profound, like a, a pool in Queens looks like a pool in Jamaica, right? It's not really a traveler's experience. Um, ultimately, so I think from a brand perspective, I don't think there's a lot of overlap. And on the operational um, perspective, there isn't a lot of overlap. Yeah. And then as far as the supply side, 98% of our supply right now is primary residences. Okay, right? wow. They can't really actually rent out their entire house because they have a family there. Yeah. Um, and so they don't really, um, they can rent out a bedroom per se. That's not really where the core business comes from, from a lot of, uh, for a lot of um, home sharing platforms. Last minute cancellations suck. And that's why we built Ping. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and allows your fans and followers to sign up and be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and she wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and they will be pinged if the requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which enables you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping is what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. You can get access to our beta pricing with plans that start at just $39 a year at bnbping.com. Again, that's bnbping.com. Why do you think people are, the people that are hosts, like why why are they signing up for Swimply? Like is it is it really people that are trying to make a quick extra like buck is it is it, is it like because they aren't using their pool as much as their kids promised them that they would use the pool if they got a pool like like why do, why do you think people are are signing up like what who why is your core customer signing up for swim play there, there are definitely different kinds of reasons different type of reasons people come for the almost i would say that the ratio changes really but it's almost it's generally the same two reasons it's easy money yeah right which sometimes results in like six figures of easy money. And then it's for a, a lot of hosts and some of the ratios lower or smaller or higher. Um, it's really the joy that they have. I think it's literally the piece that I mentioned about the alternative of what this pool can provide earlier. Yeah. Right? Like this is a space that they invested in that they're proud of that is just sitting there and they know that they can put it to work for the community. And a lot of our owners almost unilaterally, like it's not that rare one fluffy host yeah. that that is put in front of a TV um, it's majority of the hosts. They are obsessed with this mainly wow. because of the joy that they're providing. It's a lot of stay-at-home moms. It's a lot of um, uh, people with you know time on their hands, like the, a lot of people that work from home. Yeah, and, uh, that can easily manage this and the amount, of, and they just get an incredible amount of connection. Yeah, through doing it. And this is the best job in the world. Best job in the world is a job that gives you money and connection. Yeah, um, and products. <laughs> so you're offering someone the best job in the world without for just allowing something that they already have to be used. 
Um, it's a pretty solid pitch. Yeah. On that note, do you do folks have the ability? Like I'm thinking about. I'm sure people use this in so many different ways. But if I was a host, I had a beautiful pool, and I have you know flexibility. Like, am I able to sell more to to, to guests? Like, like let's say somebody wants to have a birthday party there. Like, are you guys connecting with like you know third party folks like caterers that people can kind of use for their pool parties? Can you know can can the host offer additional services? Like, how how do you guys? Think about how, yeah, how, how have you thought uh, about that? You say that. It's, it's one of the more fascinating pieces for me. Um, the we, we created a feature in 2021 that allowed owners to charge for heating, right? Like they wanted the ability to, not all the guests want it, cost us money. Yeah. Let's be more affordable if they don't want it and they can just pay us for it. And our owners just cannibalized the feature hmm. and earned it into like, and a lot of them just use, do the most creative freaking things with the feature. And so a lot of them from basics like selling towels and heating yeah. to access to um to all the way to massages and butler service and uh yeah. like it was one host in near that my family booked actually was a magi- retired magician and if you book his pool for three hours, I'll uh, give you a magic show. Wow. Um, full side magic show. And so a lot of these owners are doing really one of them is a chef, so they'll cook for you. Yeah. For an additional fee. A lot of them create like date night experiences like for extra this we'll like set it up with like hearts and whatnot different decorations uh, birthday experiences and so the whole our whole intention was like give them a feature that lets them write heating and then charge for it and then they ended up turning it to like a really creative um element we're not currently working with third parties but a lot of our owners actually do partner up with other small businesses yeah and say hey i'll put you on my account and if people pay and people will be able to book you and then we'll split the difference a lot wow. of entertainers can do that yeah like uh, one woman in Austin who like has a water show. She goes into a ball on the pool and it's like a whole light show. Wow. And she's with like 15 of our hosts. Just She just hustled <laughs> and found out about the app, booked these 15 pools, used her booking time to pitch the owner. And now she has like, she's just booked up through people booking her on the something app. Wow. Dude, that's amazing. That is uh, so, so interesting. A couple final questions for you. So look, yeah, how, in all seriousness, like how, how do you think about like, your brand and the expansion of it like as you get into pickleball and 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 tennis right maybe maybe there are a couple things you know maybe maybe the next one or two spaces you could still kind of get away with swimply but like as you continue to expand do you do you think you'll have to rebrand or like how are you thinking about that yeah so those are our our lead investor um his name is edward yabiki who's from norwest ventures i was a big concern that he had when he joined on is the name too confining ultimately for the vision that we want and so we actually, we, we did early on explore alternatives to Swimply. Okay. Um, we brought on a, a fancy agency, we went through all the exercises and stuff like that. Um, and ultimately we were pitched on like six different well directions and couldn't fall out of love with Swimply just yet. Hmm. And our bet was at the time that Swimply mean, sounds like swimming because we're talking about pool sharing. Yeah. We can it really the word itself is made up. Yeah. Sure, it has swim in it. Um, Airbnb has air in it. Like it's uh, for airbeds. Like, but we feel that, like this is a word that we own. We own the domain for. We own the trademark for. Um, it has this really like quirky energy hmm. that we like, and we figured that we can if we take that name and apply it in isolation, um, it could work for a lot of things. And so we actually threw a tennis event. Um, as a social experiment before we even had any tennis courts or anything like that. Okay. And everything was green and it was called Swimply. And we were talking about our Airbnb, like the tagline, just so everyone understood, is Airbnb for tennis courts. 
And people just thought the name was like Amazon or Uber. And so in isolation, the name did not have that much connotation. I think it's going to be seamless for us while we remain outdoors. Because yeah. even if it does, uh, even if it does have origins in swimming, and it's it is outdoors and it is energy. It's the kind of energy that we want actually. Yeah, yeah. Cool energy. Once we go indoors, I think we're gonna like have to figure out how to navigate that. We have a couple of ideas. We'll. we'll I think for us, it's a cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And like, dude, it's so impressive that you even have to like think through this now, right? Like it's just a testament to to the growth of, of what you get, the great work that you guys have done and are continuing to do and the, and the growth that you hope to see that you have to, re- you know, wrestle with this idea of like, what happens if we've outgrown our name? Um, that's like every entrepreneur's, you know, dream in, in, in some sense. So uh, props to you there, man. What What is the, what are the next like six to 12 months look like for you guys? Like, what are you, what are you, you know, primarily focused on right now? Yeah, I think right now we're focused on really two I would say big categories. One is um, really building out the sports category. Yeah. Um, so we are once right now during the summer, right? The pool category is very seasonal. And so around 80% of our revenue happens between June and Labor Day. The yeah. moment we do have a separate team right now um, focused on sports. Once Liberty comes in, we're going to be investing much deeper in bringing sports to more markets and more kinds of courts. Um, and then Australia, we have, we just opened up an office there. Oh, wow. And we're really just uh, investing um, and bringing this uh, amazing solution we came up with uh, down under. Wow. Wow. Very, very cool, man. Well, congrats to to you. And, and I, I, your story is incredible. I love what you're doing. Um, it, a lot of the folks, again, that I mentioned are hospitality entrepreneurs, is, is there is there any way like they like if if they're interested in sort of like learning how to optimize their spaces and or if if they've got pools and or pickleball courts and whatnot like what's what's the best way for them to reach out talk about potential partnerships what what would be a good way for them to even just sign up as as a as a host uh, wh- where would you like to direct people who might want to learn a little bit more and or and or become a Swimply host uh, where should they go Absolutely, I think that uh, well if you're looking to um, join the Swimply community. Uh, we have Swimply.com is our website, and we have a Swimply app on the App Store. Uh, we actually won. App, we actually uh, were app of the day last week. Oh, uh, which was nice. Congrats! Yeah, yeah, that was uh, me and my head of design were talking about that one for a while. So definitely glad to have seen that come to fruition. Um, and so we have a Swimply app on iOS and Android, and Swimply.com. As for partnerships, right now it is something that we're taking actually deeply seriously, and we built out a whole team. Everyone, I would say, the best person to reach out to uh, just me and I'll uh, make sure it goes to the right place. Uh, it's bunim at swimply.com. So pretty quick. Awesome, man. And we will link all that in the show notes below. And if you guys want to learn a little bit more about Swimply, if you've got if you've got pools, maybe at your primary residences too, that you are just interested in, in testing out and, and renting out, be sure to check out Swimply. Uh, Bunham, thank you so much for your time, dude. Thanks for sharing your, a little bit of your story with us. And keep on keeping on, dude. Looking forward to following your journey and seeing what you continue to do. Looking forward as well. Thanks, Zach. Have a great day. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. 
Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at Spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe. Um, And thanks in advance. All right, everyone. See you next time.